0: I'm going to do my best, by the grace of God, to not jump ahead of myself this evening. I have been meditating on the next couple of lessons. I'm going to make an attempt to to wrap this particular portion of the teaching. We've been talking about know your enemy and the culture of the kingdom of darkness. We're going to focus on that tonight. all things being equal, we will move forward next lesson into know your allies. Because first you know your enemy, then you gotta know what you're bringing to the table. And I'm really excited about that because a lot of that has to do with the Holy Spirit. And I have a question, who would like to know how to get every prayer you pray answered every time you pray it? I think that'd be useful information. we're going to talk about that. Now, I don't like to brag on myself because I don't have much to brag about when it comes to bragging on myself. But I will brag on God every time I pray, I get the answer. There's never been a time where I prayed according to the word and didn't get an answer. Now, I will also say that sometimes I didn't like the answer. When we think of getting an answer to prayer, we automatically assume that it's going to be the answer we want. But if you learn to want what God wants for you, you will want every answer you get. Because that's really what growing up spiritually means. However, there are times when you are praying for a specific thing that you know you have a right to pray for. And I made this statement uh, several weeks ago now where a lot of times we're praying based on our rights and not based on our authority and you're gonna to have to know the difference between your rights and your authority because they're not the same. You have rights to things you don't have authority to acquire. You have the right to a home, but you can't just break into somebody's house and start living in it. You have to be authorized to enter a specific home. Now, you have a right to own a home in this country. Every citizen in this country has a right to own a home, but you don't have automatic authority over a home until you go through the process of acquiring it. Yep. And a lot of times, when we're doing spiritual warfare, we're fighting in our rights and not in our authority. And that's why we don't get results. We'll talk about that a little bit. Because you have to know the difference. And when you know the difference, you know, for a long time, religion, segue here, the Lord woke me up yesterday morning about that kingdom of God and uh, he sent me to some scripture, and I've just been meditating on, on that kingdom of God since Sunday. For those of you that weren't here on Sunday or haven't had a chance to catch up on the live stream, you need to go back and watch Sunday's message. There was It was very powerful. And it hit me in a car. I, got, I took a couple of jabs <laughs> that I wasn't even aware, you know. Uh, and, and I've been meditating on that specifically since yesterday morning, and I've been getting some revelation about that, that hopefully I'll be able to blend in, maybe not in this lesson, but some point in the future. Probably when you get off of it, yeah. I'll get on it. That tends to be how it is. <laughs> uh, but, you have rights and then you have authority. And they're not the same. And for a long time, religion, that's, that's the point I was making and popped out in my head. A lot of times, religion didn't teach you your rights, much less your authority. So the church got a revelation about rights, and we went heavy on rights. You got a right to be healed. You got a right to be prosperous. You got a right to have a family that's this and that. You got a right to these things, and that's true. And we left you with rights and didn't teach you authority. And so you're going out and you're praying and you're spitting and you're rolling and you're sowing and you're tithing and you're giving and you're jumping up and down and you're praising from the rooftops and doing all the stuff, knowing you have the right to receive something, but don't understand your authority and wondering why you still haven't received it. But once you learn how your authority works, you're not just going to be walking in your rights anymore. And then as you pray, you will receive what you pray and it won't take 20 years. Because for many of us, the missing link has been authority, not rights. Rights can frustrate you. Rights can frustrate you if you don't understand authority. I'm trying to get off this point, but the Holy Ghost is just pouring out of me. Rights can be frustrating. When when the slaves were made slaves, the humanity in them, that spark of divine intellect, that spark, that, the spark of the divine that's in all humankind told them you're supposed to be free. You're supposed to be free. But they didn't have any authority. They didn't understand how to be free. So they just got frustrated. And eventually, their frustration made them think they didn't have a right to be free. Now you're a slave in your mind. But in the beginning, you make a person a slave against their will, their rights, will make them frustrate that situation. They'll be frustrated at that situation. But if you strip their authority away, it doesn't matter if they know they're supposed to be free. They don't see a path to freedom. And after so many generations of that, they forget about their rights. And that's been the devil's master stroke when it came to Christianity. At the beginning of Christianity, we didn't just walk in rights, we walked in authority. And it was a shocker because they were doing things that Jesus did that the law, And the religion of the day told them they didn't have a right or the authority to do. But Jesus was doing it. And he was exercising his authority. And then he taught his disciples to do it. And that first generation of disciples, that's what they focused on. Spiritual authority. All of Paul's writings are based on his authority. Not just his rights. He talked about, I love the book of Ephesians because it's basically a manuscript or manual for who you are in the kingdom. He talks very heavily about what you've been made in Christ. But most of Paul's writings revolve around authority, what he can do, not just who he is, but what he can do. And religion came in and told us, you can't do that. And in an attempt to trick us, it got us focusing on Jesus. Now, that's a weird thing to say. This is the most time I've spent behind this podium. I just realized that. it's. It's used this focus on Jesus and not on us as a way to trick us out of our authority. So let me be careful with my wording here. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the king of the kingdom. And all of our authority comes from him. Because he said all power, all authority, and every other form of power has been given unto him. But... As his body, we walk in the authority that he has in the earth. And when you are fighting spiritual warfare in the New Testament, we're all in the New Testament, you fight by way of authority. You don't pray to heaven to fight battles for you. You don't pray to Jesus to fight battles for you because he's fought that battle and won it already and he's giving you authority. And if you are seeking heaven for victory, you won't find it. And we're going to talk about that. Because many of us unknowingly are still fighting Old Testament style. And we don't know. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong because you switch. And every time you don't get a victory, you're fighting Old Testament style. And that's why you're not getting it. And that style don't work no more. The covenant is different. So that was my opening statement. And now that we've cracked that a little bit, the covenant has changed. You've got to understand. Jesus came to give us our authority back. He didn't come to show us how powerful he was. God did that in the Old Testament. Everybody knew how powerful God was. If he was just going to show up and flex on us and then leave so that we could go call him whenever we had a problem, he didn't have to go to the cross to do that. Jesus didn't come to flex so that we would call him. He came to reveal to us the authority that belongs to us and to teach us how to walk in that authority so that when he left, we could continue in the authority he walked in. It's got nothing to do with rights. It's got everything to do with authority. Where am I starting? I think I, I try to make that a... Simple as possible. Maybe I will end up behind this podium all night. Feel safe back here for some reason. (laughs) Now when we left last week, I'm going to put some scripture on the board so that as I reference them, I don't have to keep flipping through my Bible. Yes, sir. I'm going to do my best. Don't worry about it. And it would behoove you to go back and some of these we read uh, last week but I didn't put them all out so I'm just going to make it easy on you so that I'm not putting them in any particular order now my my artwork might not be the best but I can write words and numbers pretty well so don't do that don't do that I'm going to make you sit in the back. I'm going to make you sit in the back. I'll get a word from God real quick. (laughs) I'll get a word from God real quick. (laughs) And if you don't know what these abbreviations mean, you ain't been saved long enough. I'm not writing all these words out. You know, just so y'all know. Yes, that's a four. (laughs) My father was a great artist. Most people don't know that. He was a natural illustrator. He could have worked for Disney. The man had a, a skill for drawing. I watched him do it. I watched him watch, we would watch a Disney movie, and he'd have a pad and paper, and he would draw every character line for line. Never trace anything. Just look at it and draw it. Amazing artist. Never did anything with it. Just wasn't interested. He was so talented. I only got music. I feel some kind of way. I didn't get tall. I didn't get sports. I can't draw. All I got was music. I feel a little cheated. I'm just saying. I feel some kind of way. You know, you got to be careful. You can get into into your flesh a little bit. We'll start there. Uh, We talked about the the psychology of the devil, and the culture of the kingdom of darkness. When we left off, we were on the psychology or the the nature of the kingdom of darkness. And I made some points about hallmarks or things that you can notice that are in the culture of the kingdom of darkness. I'm focusing on that word culture for a reason, because times change, but culture doesn't. In the spirit realm, culture remains consistent. Now the the way that culture is expressed can change. As technology advances, as people have new ideas and things. But if your enemy, who still exists, wants to infect you with his culture, he'll just change his approach. Now in the Old Testament, the devil had power. And like I said before, none of us grew up in the Old Testament, unless you're over 2,000. So we don't know what the world looks like with the devil in power. See, you think the devil's in power now, but he's actually not. When Paul says in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, he's not telling us that the devil is in power over us. What he's telling us is that that second heaven, still has the agents of the kingdom of darkness operating because we have yet to claim it, but that's what we're wrestling for. It's not, a, it's not a declaration of how it should be, it was just a declaration of how it was at that point. Christianity was very young when Paul wrote that. It was not meant to be permanent. After 2,000 years, Of the church being in the earth, the who runs the show should have changed more than it has. And that's sort of a, a, that should be a convicting statement for us. Because when Jesus took office in the second heaven, or rather the third heaven, he ascended above the second heaven. And he took power over heaven number two, over the second heaven, from the devil. And he returned to us our authority over the second heaven. So everything the devil has done in, in the second heaven from that point to now is our fault, not the devil's. The devil is what he is. He'll never change. It's our fault. Because it's our responsibility to arrest those powers in the second heaven. Believe it or not, you have the authority to command them to do other things than what they do. But you don't command them. So they do what their nature compels them to do. And then we complain and we run and we hide. We cloister in our, in our cathedrals and in our homes and we clutch our Bibles close to us and we ask God to intervene, as if he's going to send another savior to beat the devil up again, and he's not. Because the devil is beat up, and the devil knows he's beat up. But you act like he's not. So when you encounter a demonic situation, and we encounter them every day, we we don't always recognize them, you wait for Jesus to do something. But when Jesus encounters, I'm going to get ahead of myself, you remember when Jesus got off the boat on the coast of the Gadarenes and there was the demonic boy with all the, with the legion of demons in him and he shows up and the demons start talking. And now this guy's been hurting himself and hurting other people and they can't hold him down and they can't do these things and he's, he's terrorizing the entire coast. This one man full of the devil and all these demons is terrorizing this entire coast. And when they see Jesus, the demons ask Jesus a question, are you here to torment us before our time? Remember that? And Jesus does not pray to the Father concerning that situation. He, in his authority, commands the devils out of the boy. And what did the devil say? They said, send us into the pigs. They were going to do whatever Jesus said. If Jesus had said no, the pigs would have been alright. But Jesus was Jewish, so he don't care about pigs. (laughs) Let that bacon go. Right? But notice the scenario here. This is Jesus. God in the earth. The second Adam. The first of us. That's how I like to look at him. And he's speaking to these demonic forces in an authority that overrides Lucifer. He didn't say, Tell Lucifer that I want you to do this. He, He didn't converse with God about. Those devils. He told the devils, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're not going to do. Come out of the boy, go into the pigs. That was the whole situation. Spiritual authority. Because Jesus was walking in Adam's authority. That's how we know that Adam knew it was the devil he was talking to. Because he could not have encountered a demonic influence without knowing it it was not something that was hidden from him. Devils would act up when Jesus showed up, Jesus didn't have to say nothing because they recognized this guy has an authority that no other human on this planet has. Now when we encounter a devil, we pray to Jesus. Do something about this devil, Lord, and that's why nothing happens. And you encounter demonic situations far more than you think. You gotta get your head out of the movies. When you think of demonic encounters, you think of the exorcist. You see somebody rolled on the floor floating in the midair, or all kinds of other supernatural occurrences. They're really not supernatural. That's not what supernatural means. They're actually subnatural, but that's a whole different conversation. Uh, you imagine some kind of mystical, fantastic occurrence. And you think, because you may not have experienced that or run into that kind of thing, you have not encountered demonic influence. But almost everything you touch in the world outside of the church is demonically influenced. And you have the same authority over it that you have if you were to encounter a person floating in the midair. You just have been so accustomed to seeing it in your culture that you don't fight it anymore. See, if I can't beat you in a fight... I've got to convince you not to fight. Because that's the only recourse. If I can't take you, I've got to talk you down. And that's what the devil has been doing to the church for the last 2,000 years. He can't take us in a fight. So he talked us down. He used religion and doctrines to talk us down from going on the offense against him. Because if we showed up to a demonic situation and knew that not only was it not supposed to be that way, but we were responsible for changing it, we wouldn't leave so early. We wouldn't give up so quick. We wouldn't wouldn't be content to change the channel and shake our head and say, well, that's just the devil on TV. That wouldn't be enough for us. Almost all of us have a breaking point. Almost all of us have a line that once the devil tries to cross that line, then he want to fight. And that's okay. But most of us have that line so far back, the devil can do so much to get to that point, that by the time he gets to our line, we're fighting an army instead of one or two guys. Now, we have to know how it's supposed to be so we can know how to fix it, because it can be fixed. And as a matter of fact, it will be, because that's what Jesus is waiting on. The only thing Jesus doesn't know is when he's coming back. It's the only thing he doesn't know. He knows everything else. But the Father has kept that to himself. But he did tell Jesus this. You're going to sit here at my right hand until your enemies become your footstool. Because his enemies, now, we're his feet, right? Because we're his body. You put your feet on a footstool, right? So that means... Jesus is waiting for the lowest member of the church to have ascendancy over the devil. But that's what you do with a footstool. You put your lowest member on it. When the lowest of the Christians has taken his ascendancy over the devil, Jesus' work will be done, then he can come back. And Jesus took the head out. He did the hard part. And he's given us two millennia. To clean up and finish what he started, don't you want to get raptured out of here? I know I do. It's taken a while, but it's our fault. Now he's not going to wait forever, but without getting too into the Jewish calendar and timetables and all that stuff, because that can go down, you can go down a rabbit hole that doesn't really edify you. It just makes you sound smart. <laughs> I love those rabbit holes, but. You have to be careful of them. (laughs) But without getting too into it, the timetables move and you can get left in the wake. Because as more and more of the church begins to wake up, the ones who aren't waking up just get left behind. Now, Jesus loves us and he's grace. He's full of grace. So he's given so much grace to us. To get as many of us to wake up and take our authority over the devil as possible. But the Father will not wait forever. Because this is his planet and he wants it back. This is Jesus' planet. And he wants it back. He wants it back. He's done everything necessary to buy it back. But it's kind of like if you buy a car and before you take it off the lot, they tell you, oh, man, we got to replace a part on it. You know, so you go to certain lots and they tell you, I got to put a new this in, I got to put a fuel pump in it, or I got to put a power steering fluid or something in it, and it takes forever to get back to you, and you done already bought it, and you start, getting, you start going, all right, man, you got my money, and I want my car. You know, sort of like that. The price for this planet has already been paid. The price for this authority has already been paid. It was paid in Jesus' blood. He paid the full price. Ain't nothing else got to get paid. There's no payments being made on the earth. But Jesus left his representatives to reclaim all this territory. So when Jesus comes back, he'll be king here. And we have taken too long because we got focused. First, we forgot our rights and authority. Then, as we got revelation about rights, we focus all on our rights and not on our authority. And now we got to learn our authority. Now let's go into the culture of the Kingdom of Darkness. I, I brought up last week, I keep getting on this rights and authority thing, because I told you I'm trying not to jump ahead of myself. Y'all gonna, y'all gonna y'all going love that part. Well you should love this part too, because this I mentioned five things that were that were the core elements of the culture of the kingdom of darkness. Who remembers what they are? Sex. Sexual depravity sorcery, demonic demonic inspired inspired music, human sacrifice, and violence. violence. There's scripture for every one of those things. They're all in the Old Testament. Most of them in the Old Testament. Not all of them. You see in the Old Testament the devil was free to do as he pleased because he had authority in the earth. So you saw every culture that was not in covenant with God was overrun with these five elements. If you study history, every culture worshiped a demon. They may not have known it was a demon, they called them gods. They worshiped them. One of the main ways they worshiped them was sex. Let me explain to you what sex is. Don't worry. This is going to be BG at best. Let me explain to you spiritually what sex is. How about that? That's better. Some of y'all ain't got to talk yet. I'm not going to ruin it for your parents. <laughs> spiritually, sex is a form of worship. That's why it's so important in marriage. That's why God tied it to marriage because it's one of the ways you worship. It's really, really difficult to teach that outside of marriage because it's not meant to exist outside of marriage. Sex is not meant to be engaged in outside of marriage because sexual activity is a form of worship. It's a surrender of your flesh to another. In a marriage, the other is the representative of God to you. We talked about that when I taught marriage. Remember that, how the woman represents one aspect of God to the man, and the man represents an aspect of God to the woman? When a man and a woman who are married to each other engage in sex, they are worshiping God with each other, through each other. It's a very intimate spiritual experience. And it's one of the most powerful forms of worship known to man, which is why it's so destructive outside of marriage. It's so incredibly destructive because fornication. Why is God so against fornication? Because fornication is the worship of the devil with your body. See, here's the thing you got to understand about worship. You don't have to know that you're worshiping the devil to worship the devil. You don't have to know. As a matter of fact, it works a lot better if you don't. See, in the Old Testament, they performed sexual acts with each other in their temples and in their ceremonies. And there was, was, prostitution was actually used as a form of worship. You would show up, pay money to a prostitute who was a representative of a pagan god. Usually, if you're talking about Baal worship, it was the goddess uh, Asherah. We might talk about her a little bit—a demonic spirit, but they gave it a name—and she was the goddess of fertility. And you would, they would build uh, orchards and groves, vineyards, and then they would fornicate in the orchard. Sometimes. Multitudes of people all at once, for days on end, as worship to Asherah, the goddess of fertility. The idea was, if you pleased her, you would have healthy children, you would have healthy crops, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Most cultures in Canaan remember, God sent Abraham to Canaan to take over the land of Canaan. Most Canaanites were Baal worshippers, and Baal was the ruling deity over that area. That's why he's brought up so much in the Old Testament. And he went by more than one name based on the region and based on what part of Baal you were trying to use. So you had Baal over the crops and you had Baal over war and you had Baal over children. And when God came in, he, when God sent his children of Israel into there, he said, kill all the Baal worshipers and don't mingle with them. You have to remove the worship of Baal from this land. Why? Because Baal was a demonic spirit who had authority in that region. And God wanted his people to have that region. So to get Baal out of power, you had to get Baal's worshipers out of power. You couldn't save a few of them. You couldn't rescue them. You couldn't witness to them. There was no redeemer you had to kill them. It's brutal to us, but it was the only way. Because when their children were born, they were offered to Baal. Child sacrifice was a common practice. Oftentimes, you'd sacrifice your firstborn so that the next one would be healthy. Now that sounds kind of stupid. You got a healthy one now, you good. But everything is stupid in the kingdom of darkness. But it was a way of worshiping a demonic spirit. Most cultures have what anthropologists call a superstitious past, where everybody believed in some kind of spirit. But that's because modern thinkers are atheists, for for the most part, and they don't believe in the supernatural. So they don't understand that they weren't worshiping nothing, they were worshiping something. And that something would perform tricks and miracles They would do things to impress them, and then they'd worship it. And if they fail in their worship, their crops would suffer or their children would die. And what they failed to realize was continual worship put them under a curse. Then God had to wipe them all out. The children of Israel were slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. They had been worshiping Egyptian devils. What the Egyptians called gods were actually demonic spirits that they had experiences with. These people weren't crazy. They were all superstitious. They were living in a time where the worship of demonic spirits was so heavy that they had constant experiences with demonic influences and demonic spirits. And it still happens today, but it's changed because now the devil doesn't have authority. So now he has to trick us like I said before, if he can't take you in a fight, he's got to convince you not to fight. So what are the parallels today of the Old Testament culture? Now, you go to certain countries, they're still doing that stuff the way they did in the Old Testament. But see, we've become so modernized in the West. We've become so cultured. We've been so Christianized. The religion of Christianity did something. That's why I'm glad Pastor Dan is on this subject, because To its credit, Christianity took out a lot of demonic influence in the world. But because the devil is tricky and sneaky, he weaseled his way into the hearts of Christian leaders at various times in history and planted religion. And what religion does is it allows you to claim Christianity and stand firmly against obvious displays of demonic power while you allow the less obvious ones to get right by you. And you feel good knowing I'm going to heaven when I die, and the devil's just having a good time right behind you. And that's what he's done from generation to generation to generation. I'm trying to go slow, y'all, because I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. You see, when Jesus took the authority back from the devil and gave it to us, the devil realized he was back in the same position he was when man was in the garden, man got the power again. Now I have to control man. Well, I know how I can do that. I can convince them, I can either prevent them from worshiping Christ so that they don't learn from him the authority they have, or I can convince them, and I can't stop that, that I'll just infect that teaching with some teaching of my own. And what I'll do is I'll distract them with the obvious stuff, the witches, the Halloweens. You know, the demons and the ghouls and the devils, the things that look really demonic and satanic because they'll get all hung up on that. They'll freak out when they see that and they'll burn all that down. And that's okay. That's not how I'm going to move anyway. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach them fornication, but I'm going to change the language. Instead of worshiping me, instead of planting a grove of trees and fornicating by the hundreds for days on end, because that's no longer going to be popular with these Christians spreading their Christianity. I'm just going to teach them to play in the field a little bit. Now, the sinners are already doing it, but how do I get the saints to do it? Well, you know, everybody's got something that the Lord is working on them on. You know, mine just happens to be fornication. So I come to church. I love the Lord. I got a few girlfriends. You know, I'm a man. That's what men got to do. You know, I'm not ready to settle down yet, but I got these needs. I got to meet them some kind of way. You've heard these things. You've heard them in the church. But fornication is fornication. Jesus said that if a man commits adultery in his heart, he's committed adultery. Amen. Much less fornication. What about child sacrifice? We're not taking kids and sacrificing them on altars anymore because that's too obvious can't do that. But what if we made the issue about rights? What if we made it a women's rights issue? That if she doesn't want her baby to live, for any reason, she has the right to kill that baby. That sounds pretty good. We're in a country that's all about rights and freedom. That'll sell. The devil doesn't care what you label it. Millions of innocent babies have been sacrificed to the same spirit that they used to set children on fire. They would build an altar and set the baby on fire. Now, you go into a clinic and they cut the baby out of you, and then they set it on fire. And they burn medical hazard, hazardous waste. See, the, See, the culture didn't change. And you've got people in the church standing up, marching for rights, not realizing it has nothing to do with that. It's culture. You have to ask yourself, what is broken in a culture where we are this comfortable with killing children? Forget your reason. It should be such a repulsive act Let me tell you something. You know how hard it is to execute a criminal in the United States? It's harder to execute a convicted murderer. Takes years of paperwork. We could have the guy on video murdering 20 people. He He gets a trial by jury. He gets his day in court. He gets legal representation. Hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent convicting him. And then he gets to eat three meals a day, for years on the state's dime, while he waits for a call from the governor to commute his sentence. It may happen, it may not. But he'll live 20 more years after having murdered a whole bus full of children. And to make sure nobody kills him ahead of time, they put him on death row in a solitary confinement. So he can't get killed by anybody else because we don't want him to die Before his time and then we don't use electric chairs anymore because they're inhumane so we used to use the gas chamber but that was too inhumane so now we use lethal injection he goes to sleep and he just doesn't wake up but a baby we just chop it up pull it out throw in the dumpster Our criminals get a better shot at life than our unborn children. That's a culture problem. That's got nothing to do with rights about women's health. Now, why is that such an issue? Because we started with overindulging sexually. Used to be you waited to get married. But the devil told us that's what the old-head Christians do. Your grandmama told you to wait. We don't want to listen to her. She's an old Christian. What does she know? And because grandma was sick and broke and didn't walk in her authority, her Christianity didn't look that attractive to you. So when she gave you kingdom of God culture and wisdom, you couldn't match it up to the lifestyle she had. Because she rode around in an old beat up car and her husband was cheating on her. And you say, well, if Jesus ain't helping you out, I'm going to have my fun. You can do you, Grandma, but I'm going to have my fun. So everybody started having fun in the 60s. Everybody started having a good time. And now you got all these babies popping up. We've got to do something with them. You see, one of the acts of worship of the goddess Asherah was to fornicate to make sacrificial babies. If you study Asherah worship, you find out that that was one of the reasons they did it so much. Because babies was like the high price sacrifice. You want to kill a baby if you can. If you can sacrifice something, you know, animals is cool. But if you can give your baby to the Asherah, oh, man, our crops going to be good for the next two years. So if we don't have enough babies, we make some babies. And we sacrifice them. The culture never changed in the kingdom of darkness. It just got sophisticated. We have to stand up against the culture of the kingdom of darkness. Forget the politics. Amen. Politics is a weapon that the devil has used since time immemorial to convince people that what he was doing wasn't what he was doing. Because if I can attach my politics, to, if I can attach my culture to something you politically agree with, you'll agree with my culture. So when young black men in the 80s and 90s wanted to stand up against racism, which is fine, they chose drug dealers and criminals to be their role models. And instead of saying, hey, let's all go to school and make something of ourselves, they said, let's all grab a gun and shoot the first cop we see. And you have entire cities of people like that. Why is it uh, the most popular form of music in the culture that your children are exposed to, and us now, because we, we came up in that same culture. You know, it's two or three generations deep now. Why is it that that style of music in particular is so inundated with sex, crime, violence, and drug abuse? More so than any other style of music before it. You thought rock and roll was bad. And it was because it was a gateway. I'm not talking about the style, the sound. Because one of the things that happened, when the church stood up against the demonic culture that was infecting through the music, the devil told everybody, see the church is against the music. You can't play drums in the church, but you like drums. Well, you can play drums in the club, so go to the club. And while you're in the club enjoying the drums, we're going to introduce you to sex, drugs, and violence. You came for the drums, but you're going to stay for the culture. And the church wouldn't let you play drums. So the devil stayed, see? And the devil told the church, don't let them play drums in here. Because the Bible didn't tell you that. They play drums in the Bible. But the devil told the church, don't let them play nothing but old organs and hymns. Because that's what God likes. The devil told the church that, and the church listened to him. Then the devil went and told the kids, see how boring church is? But I got something for you. So the kids said, I ain't going to church, because y'all don't have no drums. And it took 40 years for churches to start playing drums, and some of them still don't do it, and think that it's more pleasing to God, and don't have that one shred of evidence biblically for it. It's just culture. But what it did was it took the church out of the equation when the devil wanted to talk to your kids? Amen. And the people talking to your kids were drug dealers, rapists, whoremongers, whores. Never seen so much depravity. I'm in the music business. It is one of the most depraved cultures on the planet. And it's legal, and it's public, and it's on primetime television now. You can be so naked. It doesn't even sell the song anymore. The song can be about rice, (laughs) but you're going to be naked when you sing it. How did we get there? Culture. And if you notice, the church was always playing catch up to the culture. In an attempt to get your kids back, we had to start doing things that the kids thought was cool. But usually, we did it 20 years after they thought it was cool, so it still wasn't cool. So then the devil told the church this. Now here's where we are today. He said, look, you got to get ahead of this thing. So you're going to have to slide a little bit to get the kids in. Don't, don't get too spiritual. Forget that Holy Ghost stuff, man. Just make your music hot. The kids will show up. We don't lay hands on, this, on people in this church. We just want to worship. Well, this rapper just put out a gospel album. Bring them in. Because he's going to bring the kids. And then he's going to start a cult and take all them kids with him. But bring him in now because he's hot. And he said that Jesus is king. That's not news, ladies and gentlemen. The devil knows Jesus is king. And he took your kids because your favorite preacher shouted him out on Instagram. And he took your kids. And he ain't said nothing about Jesus in two years. And has no intention of worshiping your God your way. You don't have to. We made it easy. Because after we've been, when you've been behind the world for so long, the same devil that puts you behind is trying to give you advice on how to get in front. It's culture. Because he don't have power over us anymore. Yes, it is. It is stupid. See, he don't have power over us anymore. And when you don't have power, you got to trick them into not fighting. you got to tell them what's cool. I know this is, this is not super deep, but you have to see your enemy to fight your enemy. The demonic influence in your life is not somebody floating in the air spitting venom. It's, it's the little things that influence your perception of God and the world, because the devil is a deceiver. So what he wants you to do, he's like a magician. You ever see an illusionist? You know, a good illusionist, they say, don't call us magicians, because we know magic's not real. We practice a skill. We use techniques and, and tools to make things look real that we know aren't real. We, we don't want you to think magic is real, we just want you to know how good we are at illusions. A good illusionist uses misdirection. While you're paying attention to this, they're doing that. And then when it's ready, they show you, and you go, how did he do that? Because you're not supposed to look over here. That's all the devil does. doesn't have any power, so he makes illusions. He distracts you with something so that you don't watch what he's really doing. And while you're not watching, so he didn't have to do this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if he wanted you to kill your babies, Baal would show up and tell his prophets, tell the people to kill their babies. And the people would kill their babies. Remember the flood? God said, I have to destroy mankind because their thoughts are always evil all the time. And God had to search the entire earth, what parts it were populated at that point, because the whole earth was not populated at that time. So when the Bible says the whole earth, Anyway, he had to search every place where there were people to find one man who would actually listen to another god. Because he was fighting an uphill battle. Because most people wouldn't listen to El, the god of Abraham. They wouldn't listen to El. They listened to Baal or Asherah or any other number of of pagan deities, Dagon and all of these guys that you read about in the Bible. They worship these demons. And El had to involve himself in the acts of man. And he had to find one guy among all the people who would just do what he said to preserve mankind. Noah was not perfect the way we think of perfect. He wasn't saved. He wasn't born again. But he was willing to do what God instructed him to do. And that's all God had. Same thing with Abram. You're just willing to do what I tell you. And if you do exactly what I tell you and you don't falter. Remember when God said, now I know you'll give your children back to me. You know why that was so important? Because nobody else would give their children to El. You see, God is the God above all gods. But in the Old Testament, he was just another God to most people. He has power as God the one true living God, over everything. But his authority in the Old Testament had to be invited in by someone rejecting the worship of another God because there were other gods. See, God is the God above all gods. In Hebrew, he's called Elohim. They pluralize his name to signify his dominance. He's he's one being in three persons, but he's also the greatest of all beings. So he's pluralized twice for both reasons in Hebrew. We talked about that last week. But Elohim, the God above all gods, had to prove he was God above all gods. Every time he had to involve a person. So when Moses went to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Egyptians said, who's your God? And God had to do a miracle. He had to perform a wonder that the other gods couldn't beat. Am I out of time? you got to be kidding me. Give me three more minutes and I'll, back. I'll wrap this up some kind of way. I promise you that. He had to prove who he was. When he came to Moses, Moses said, what's your name? What do I, because t- all their gods got names. And I have to give them a name. And what are you going to give me to show them that you're a real God, too? Because you ain't supernatural wasn't spectacular. The gods battled each other for supremacy because demons don't like each other. They don't cooperate well. So if I'm going to convince Pharaoh that you're the god to listen to, what are you going to do to prove it? He said, take the stick, go in there with the stick, I'll do the rest. And that's what Moses did. And ten times, Moses did something with the stick that the Egyptian gods couldn't overcome. And finally, Pharaoh said, your God's better than our gods. Y'all can go. But God had to do all of that work. Now, when Jesus showed up, he had to do all that. Jesus said, move, demon. Get out, the boy. Go in the pigs. Yes, sir. That was it. Because Jesus had authority. God had power, but the authority in that second heaven, he had to deal with that, because that structure, he created that structure. Man gave it over to the devil. So God had to work real hard, why it took so long, because he had to find somebody who would invite him in so he could do what he could do. Now, the devil wouldn't stand up to God. He's dumb, but he ain't stupid. He don't have the, the facility to stand up to God directly. But when it came to what happened to the destiny of man it was a war in the heavenlies over the destiny of this planet and God had to stake his claim in a man and He had to find a man and when he found Abraham he finally found a man he could make a covenant with so he made a covenant with Abraham and then he did everything in his power to maintain that covenant. He established a law he established tithing. He established anything to find a man. And we're going to go next week over the invocations of the name of God in men in the Old Testament, because he would put his name on people to keep the thoughts of the people around alive. You see the name of God in a lot of Old Testament people. There's a reason for that. It's not coincidental. God had to work very hard. So when you don't walk in your authority and I'm done, You are spitting in the face of 4,000 years of God himself working to keep himself involved in this planet through a war. And then you're spitting in the face of a man named Jesus who poured his own blood out to give you back your authority. You don't have the right to let this world look the way it looks. You don't have the right. And you will be called to answer for it. You think your judgment is going to be on whether you sinned or not. It isn't. You're not being judged on your sin because you're sinless. When you stand before God, it will not be what did you do with your life, as in did you cheat on your wife or did you cheat on your taxes or did you cheat on that test. That's not what you will be judged on. You will be judged on what you did with the authority God gave you. And it's time for the church to wake up. Because that's the work. Amen?